listening to Real Talk Radio with Nicole Antoinette, episode 75. Welcome to Real Talk Radio with Nicole Antoinette. That's me, the podcast that's filled with refreshingly honest conversations about the wonderful mess of being human. More than anything, this show is home to honest conversations between real people. We're not trying to sell you anything. We're not trying to get you to fix yourself or your life. And we're certainly not trying to get you stressed out over stupid life hacks or anything like that. Instead, this is a space to just be real, to take a deep breath and talk about all the behind the scenes stuff that I think isn't talked about enough, like our fears, challenges and insecurities, our secret dreams, how it really feels to try and make changes in your life, what happens when you don't accomplish a goal, and just the day to day truths of being human in a crazy world. As your host, it's so much fun for me to sit down with everyone from athletes, writers, and entrepreneurs to parents, coaches of all kinds, world travelers, adventurers, artists, activists, the list goes on and on, and to then bring those conversations to you. And fair warning real quick that this is an adult podcast, which means we often cover adult topics and use adult language. My hope for you as a listener of this show is that it makes you laugh, think, and just feel less alone. Because honestly, that's all that I ever want, to know that I'm not alone. Something else that's unique about this show is that it's 100% community supported, which means no ads, no sponsors, and no outside influence. Just us, here together, sharing stories. The show is made possible by listeners like you, awesomely generous people who have pledged $8 or more per eight-episode season. To do this, we use a platform called Patreon, and not only does your support keep the show going, but it also earns you access to over 30 hours of exclusive bonus content. In addition to that fun bonus content, you'll also have the opportunity to be featured on an upcoming outro, you'll be able to help shape the future of the show, you'll be able to chat with me and other like-minded people on the community's private feed page, and you'll even be able to access my popular weekly email series called Notes of Grit and Grace, which is only available to Patreon supporters. So for all of that, plus that bonus content that's added every single month, just go to patreon.com slash Nicole Antoinette. That's patreon.com slash Nicole Antoinette. And at the end of this episode, you'll actually get to meet one of our community members who joins me for a quick and hilarious game of Would You Rather and shares what it's like behind the scenes in our Patreon community. So if you believe in this real talk revolution like I do, and if you're in the position to be able to support the show, I can't tell you how much that would mean to me. So thanks so much for the support. And now let's dive right into today's episode. Today, you'll get to meet Master Phil Nguyen, Master Phil is a seventh degree black belt in Taekwondo. He's a professional leadership speaker and the author of the children's book, Bully Busters and Beyond. His mission is to help people of all ages unleash their inner ninjas by applying martial arts wisdom and principles to solve their everyday problems. He has taught tens of thousands of people in the classrooms, in the boardrooms, and in his community. Master Phil believes that there are two purposes in life. One, to improve yourself, and two, to improve the world around you. In his community, he teaches students ranging from six-year-olds with ADHD to adults with PhDs the martial art of Taekwondo through his award-winning Black Belt Excellence Martial Arts Academy, which was founded over 30 years ago. In the classrooms, he teaches grade school children his award-winning Bully Busters program, Nine Treasures to Self-Confidence, Self-Esteem, and Strength of Character. And in the boardrooms, he teaches professionals his Black Belt Leadership Program, a nine-point path to a better, stronger, wiser you. Some of his clients include Microsoft, the Department of National Defense, the Department of Justice, Health Canada, and the Royal Canadian Mounted Police. 
He's been honored as Citizen of the Year in his city, top 40 under 40 for his business achievements, his professional expertise, and his community service. And he's been given both the Mayor's City Builder Award and the Queen's Diamond Jubilee Medal for his contributions to his country of Canada. Mindful of his Vietnamese roots and yet proud to be Canadian, Master Phil currently lives in Ottawa, Ontario. He's been happily married for 15 years and is the proud father of two ninja sons. In this episode, which moved me and gave me so much to think about, Master Phil shares the story of how he first got into martial arts and what has motivated him to keep on with it year after year after year after year. He shares a detailed look at his mind-body-spirit approach to life and what that actually looks like on a day-to-day basis. And we talk about everything from cultivating discipline to creating a high-performance environment for yourself to knowing when to quit versus when to dig in. Master Phil also shares about being bullied as a child and how that led him to write a book and create a program to teach specific tactics and behaviors to children to help prevent and overcome bullying. We talk about sources of inspiration and about the power of experiencing what Master Phil calls real moments or miracles. And through it all, his honest story sharing and willingness to be open and detailed makes this a conversation that I won't soon forget. I hope you enjoy it as well. All right, let's do this. Master Phil, welcome to the show. I bowed your awesomeness, Nicole. Wow, I like that. I don't think anyone's ever bowed to my awesomeness before. (laughs) (laughs) You and your listeners and uh, Patreons, of course. Oh my gosh, that's so fun. I think that's how every episode should start from now on. I should make that a requirement. (laughs) So fun. Um, (laughs) So drop me into your real life. How did you spend the first hour of your day today? Oh, nice. Thanks. Um, Well, the first thing I like to do when I wake up is uh, uh, think of the words, thank you. Uh, You know, uh, thank you for you know, waking up before beside a beautiful wife, you know, thanks for the little pitter patter of my boys getting ready, my ninja sons getting ready for their uh, day. And, um, you know, thank you for running water and food and shelter. So then, um, then I do, you know, my bathroom stuff. And then I did my yoga sun salutation. And uh, then I had a nice uh, breakfast. And so I was raring to go from uh, zero to 60. And of course, I dropped off my kids uh, at the bus stop. And uh, it's rare to go. And I'm living here in uh, Canada's capital, so also did a bit of uh, ice shoveling as well. So uh, 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 a great, great way to kickstart the day in mind, body, and spirit. Yeah, we uh, are having quite the winter here ourselves. I don't know if it's comparable to Canada, but it's the most snow that we have. I that I've heard that they've had in Bend. Oregon, where I live for, I don't know, since like 96 or something. We have so much snow. It's crazy. I love it, though. It's, uh, it's a beautiful thing, uh, winter. Yeah, you know, it's one of the reasons that I was so excited to move here. I moved from Southern California was because of the seasons. You know, even when it's, you know, I'm complaining because it's so cold or it's, you know, hard to drive or go places. It really is a nice, I don't know, it's like a nice way to mark time to have such different seasons. Yeah, absolutely. To me, uh, the changing of the seasons is like, uh, you know, savoring of food. You know, you have to enjoy every uh, every aspect of, uh, of life and to its fullest. And so, and you adapt, you adapt. So I love it. Yeah. So totally random question, but I saw this on your website and absolutely have to ask for this story. So I saw the photo of you and Tony Robbins and I have to t- you just tell me about meeting Tony and anything about that because I'm fascinated by him. Oh, great. Uh, well, uh, the story goes back to when he uh, used to have his programs. Remember, as uh, TV commercials, infomercials that catapulted him to fame. Well, I remember listening to his audio cassettes in uh, in uh, the days when I went to university. And I remember once I was sitting on the bus 
on the way to my course and thinking to myself, man, this is great stuff. And then the next thought I thought was, hey, can I do that myself, inspire others to do the same? And so years later, uh, he came to uh, fast forward to a few years ago, he came to Toronto. And, uh, you know, tens of thousands of people attend his event. But in this particular case, they had arranged for a, uh, uh, a VIP program where you could, you know, get front row seating and all that stuff, uh, but get a chance to meet him. And you can only imagine how limited his time was because hundreds of people were lined up and uh, he had to head off to the airport, escorted with his entourage. But I had a chance to, uh, to meet him. And um, he, as you can see in the photo, he's a giant. His fist is about as big as my, my, my head, but he's a gentle giant. And, uh, you know, he was as positive, present, and passionate as he was one-on-one. -on -one as he is in his uh, programs, videos, audio cassettes, and his live stadium events. So it was, uh, it was a bucket list item for me. Yeah, it's funny. I have my own bucket list of people that I would love to have on the podcast. So I always like hearing other people's stories of when they met someone that was like either a mentor or an inspiration or, you know, that, oh my gosh, I can't believe this is happening moment. <laughs> so it's fun. Um, actually, on that topic of mentors or teachers or sources of inspiration, who have you been learning from recently? Recently, you know, it's a combination of, um, you know, ancient martial arts wisdom and Zen masters to, you know, modern day personal development uh, coaches. So my original inspiration probably was Bruce Lee. Uh, you know, I, I, I remember I used to sneak down to my dad's basement and, uh, you know, pop in uh, uh, beta, uh, beta cassettes, you know, I'm dating myself here. I don't know if you remember what that is or even know what that is, but it's a space age device called a Betamax video recording machine and or pop in uh, Bruce Lee videos. But not only was he a legendary uh, action star, but he, a lot of people don't know that he was actually a, uh, an author and a philosopher. So a lot of my uh, early philosophies were formed by him and uh, as well as uh, General Che Hong. He is the founder of Taekwondo, uh, ITF Taekwondo, an art that I've been practicing for over 30 years. And uh, I also very much into uh, Zen master Thich Nhat Hanh. I don't know if you ever heard of him. Yeah, absolutely. But he's, he's, uh, he's almost, he's like the uh, second most famous monk after the Dalai Lama. You know, most people know the Dalai Lama, but uh, uh, Zen master Thich Nhat Hanh is a Vietnamese uh, Buddhist monk. And uh, he's taught me a lot about mindfulness as well. Now, in terms of uh, modern day mentors, you know, Tony Robbins was the first one, you know, I listened and I've uh, learned and also met in person, Brendan Burchard. And uh, I also listened to uh, Marie Forleo's uh, uh, weekly shows, um, Marie TV. So those are some of the examples of the stuff that fills my mind and my heart uh, on a weekly basis. Yeah, I, I love the wide range of examples. Something I've been thinking about a lot, I don't know if it's like entering into a new year or just like a general time of reflection is really how impacted we are by what we consume, right? Like in terms of media or, you know, the things that we watch, the things that we listen to. And like, I, I notice such a difference with myself when I'm really conscious about kind of who I'm learning from and what those sources of input are. No, that's great. Now, you mentioned the, the, the word uh, consume, but what I love about you, uh, Nicole, is, you know, to me, the world is made up of content uh, consumers and content creators. 
And I think with your podcast, which I've been consuming and listening to and loving while running and, uh, and driving, is uh, you create content with refreshing conversations and, you know, food for thought. And uh, although I've listened to many hours of your content, for example, one line that I remember from one of your latest interviews was with uh, David Huang. And it says, you know, our decision making is uh, based on the context in which we're in and the phase in the life that we're in. So that's just one of the examples of uh, content consumption that I want to share from your own podcast. But also uh, think people should consider creating content like you do. Yeah, that's, I mean, thank you. That's a lovely thing to say. But I, I think it's it's always interesting kind of the balance of consumption versus creation, right? Like I notice mm-hmm. for me, because of how I create the show, meaning, you know, that since it's a seasonal show, it's basically a lot of recording at once and then not for a while, which mm-hmm. is the way that I prefer to create. When I'm in creation mode, I can't really be consuming too many things because then I feel like I'm not doing my own work. I'm kind of like pulling too much from other people's work. So it's always, it's always interesting for me too to hear other people's relationship between periods of time when they're consuming a lot versus when they need to put that aside in order to create, right? And what that balance looks like. So that's interesting. Yeah, it's definitely a balance. It's, uh, to me, it's also a cycle. I mean, being in the martial arts and uh, uh, the eras of peak performance, uh, high performance, I should say, to me, there's a cycles of life. There's, there's preparation and then there's performance and then there's recovery. So when you're, when you're doing your stuff, you're creating your content, you know, in performance mode, but then obviously there's recovery mode and then the cycle continues to preparing. And it's a, it's a symbiotic relationship, I feel, content creation and consumption. I agree. That's interesting because I also feel like there that what you just said, that idea of preparation, performance, and recovery applies to basically every industry and discipline, right? Like it's true. Like Absolutely. I think about that as a runner. I think about that in terms of mm. creation. And if I look at periods of time when I've been really burned out, it's because I'm ignoring one of those things, usually recovery. <laughs> Exactly, exactly. So, you know, you have to honor the recovery as much as the uh, the preparation performance for sure. So when you were talking about um, kind of mentors, teachers, uh, you said something that just kind of caught my attention. Um, I don't remember exactly who you were talking about, but you said in some of the earliest reading, it was it formed the basis of like some of your philosophies. So I'm curious, do you have any like, I don't know what the right word is, like quotes or mantras or philosophies, like something that you, that's kind of like a simple thing that guides you that you think of often? Um, you know, to me, life is not always great, uh, but it's great to be alive. Um, and to me, although there's many quotes that I have in my head, uh, a philosophy that I believe in is mind, body, spirit. Now, you hear about that often you know, in your yoga classes and, you know, other spiritual uh, teachers. But for me, my philosophy on mind, body, and spirit is uh, it starts with the body. When your body is, uh, is tired, then you have to have a strong mind. But when your mind uh, is exhausted, uh, then you have to unleash your spirit. But the question is, what do you do when your spirit is broken? Well, you go full cycle and you must move your body. And so to me, my philosophy is a mind, body, and spirit in that cyclical nature of how they all interact with each other. And I think it's important um, for people to, uh, to take control of the mind, body, and spirit and to be mindful uh, of those, uh, what I like to call three ninjas and how they interact together. So for example, when I give uh, conferences, it's not uncommon that someone comes up to me 
Uh, I did a black belt leadership talk at, uh, at a government uh, association here in, uh, in Canada. And I remember at the end of the session, someone who was, you know, in his 50s and 60s, he said, you know, Master Phil, thanks for reminding me the importance of mind, body, spirit. Because although I've been taking care of my mind at work here, I feel I've left my body and my spirit behind. So I think it's important to, to have that uh, trilogy of human endowment uh, at the forefront at all times. Yeah, something that I really like about what you just said is I think that that idea of mind, body, spirit, it's like a, you said you hear it in every yoga class, right? Or like it's something that gets thrown around a lot. And I feel like so much of the most important stuff and the truest stuff does wind up having kind of like a surface level cliche that's really mm. not helpful to anyone, but you have to dig underneath it, right? Like I love even just the couple of specific examples that you gave. It's like, it's one thing to just say like, oh yeah, got to take care of mind, body, spirit, but like that's, mm. that's not the same as actually doing it, right? And like understanding what it looks like in your real life to do those things, which makes me wonder for you, like, can you give me an example of maybe one thing you do to honor each of those on a regular basis? Yeah, absolutely. Well, the, uh, the, when you asked me the first thing I did this morning, I actually call it my uh, morning hour of power. So I said, thank you. So that activates my, my spiritual self. So it shows gratitude. I did my yoga sun salutation. So I went from, you know, uh, body tired and creaky to blood flowing and and uh, and heart pumping and then uh, and then mind uh, the way I do my mind is actually I call it the rule of no electronics the first hour of power I discipline myself to not look at my phone other than for the weather because I have to know how to dress my ninja sons for, for the day <laughs> or winter Canadian winter colds but it's uh, what uh, the rule of no electronics now I know. Uh, some people who have gone on, you know, retreats, quiet retreats for days. But to me, that's a bit drastic when all I like to do is every day for the first hour, no electronics other than, like I said, checking the weather. And what that does is analogous to an athlete exercising his or her muscles, to me, is a high performer can uh, work on the uh, muscle of discipline. So to me, if I can have that mental strength to not look at my phone, and I'm not always successful, right? but it's a challenge that I have for myself every day, then my mind is mind. Uh, my mind is mine. Mm -hmm. so I'm in, it's a reminder that I, I'm in control of myself. I'm in control of my mind, not the media, not this uh, electronic uh, thing. And it allows me to practice detachment. And I've came to the conclusion recently that I'm not attached to anything. The only thing I am attached to is the present moment, which in this case is having a great conversation with you, Nicole Antoinette. So this is how I uh, develop my mind, body, spirit, my morning hour of power. And as a good checkpoint, uh, when uh, your, your, your life, life will find a way to tell us when it's not in balance. And you, either you don't feel good, you feel unfocused, or you feel empty or you feel restless so whenever things are going askew in our lives that's when uh, you have to ask ourselves what what am i missing here mind body spirit what do i need to strengthen what do i need to boost up so to me that's how i uh that's my philosophy on mind, body, spirit. Mm, that's so good. I especially love in, in, you know, using the example of 
not checking your phone, not using electronics, this idea that it's not like a, a binary black and white. I mean, yes, you either do it or you don't do it. But I love what you said about that. It's kind of training, like that it's building mm. that must like building the muscle of discipline or not, you know, as opposed to, I don't know, just like relying on willpower or I've been thinking about a lot lately. I came across this quote in a book that I'm reading. It says, we do not rise to the level of our expectations. We fall to the level of our training. Mm. And I feel like, I mean, you know, sometimes you read something and you're just like, preach, like it's so true. <laughs> it like gets under your skin so much. And I've been thinking about that, that like it's so easy to have these high expectations. Like I'm definitely not going to check my phone for the first hour of the day. Or it's really easy to say stuff. But in the moment when it comes down to it and you're tired and that's your reflex, like you're going to fall to the level of your training. You're going to fall to the level of what you do most often. So this idea that like taking responsibility to kind of build the muscle of discipline and practice, right? This idea that like it's a practice and that anything that you want to, that's important to you requires some kind of training. I don't know. I think that's an interesting way to look at it. Absolutely. It, it, uh, it makes real the philosophy and brings it down to the level of practice. Exactly what you said. So I know that you've said that you believe that there are two purposes in life, one, to improve yourself and two, to improve the world around you. And I would love some specific examples of how you feel like you're currently working to do both of those in your life right now or this year. Well, thanks for that question. Well, uh, as I mentioned, my background's in uh, martial arts. Uh, you've heard of the term samurai? Yes. I even recommend uh, to, to you to watch The Last Samurai. But uh, the word samurai uh, literally means to serve. To serve. And um, so if I look at it in modern day terms, the, the, the first purpose of life is to improve yourself. And we already discussed about uh, making your mind, body, and uh, spirit strong. But when that is the case... Then I feel, for me, it's not just my my privilege, but it's actually my duty to use uh, my my physical, mental, spiritual health for good in society. So, uh, for me, uh, in my community, uh, I have the uh, the blessing of having a uh, successful martial arts school, Black Belt Excellence uh, Martial Arts Academy, and that's been going for thirty years. And so what I do with my students and I teach them to do is to uh, serve to the community. So to give some examples, we have we do Taekwondo demonstrations, we do uh, breakathons, we do self-defense seminars. So in the past 30 years, we have supported uh, women's shelters. Uh, we have supported the uh, Regional Cancer Society, uh, the Heart and Stroke Foundation, uh, even uh, the Children's Hospital. And we have had, uh, even have a, a, a room an emergency room named after Academy because of our contribution. So to me, I think any philosophy usually boils down to that is improving yourself so that you can be strong enough, uh, wise enough um, to serve uh, society and uh, help uh, humanity, the world mm -hmm. around you. Yeah. Will you share the story of how you first got involved in martial arts? Yes. Thanks. <laughs> oh gosh. Um, I think it was my dad at the time, my mom, was hoping my my brother and I would be uh, uh, be a musical artist. So my brother would be playing violin. I played piano. But then one day my dad uh, thought perhaps we could become martial artists. So he took me to a uh, taekwondo class, and um, you know the first experience, believe it or not, was unusual. It was old school uh, basement garage, concrete floor, musty smell. You know, just a dozen people with their sleeves rolled up. And uh, the instructor asked my, uh, my brother, my stepbrother, to break a board. And he broke that board. 
And then he gives me half of that piece of board, <laughs> the, the other half of the broken board, and he asked me to break it. And uh, needless to say, I broke my knuckle instead. Oh so uh, <laughs> I was actually quite traumatized, but I, I did go on and uh, train. Um, it was called the Vietnamese Taekwondo Federation at the time. And basically back then in the uh, mid late 1980s, the, the training consisted of uh, okay, uh, you and your brother go over there and practice your walking stance and your bare feet on the uh, concrete floor for the next hour and we'll check in with you later. Yes, sir. <laughs> right. But it was a Spartan training atmosphere. But I've learned a few things at that time that, you know, a uh, high performance environment is not designed for luxury or comfort. A high performance environment is designed for hard work and dedication. And that is uh, what martial arts, I think, brought to me. And I think can bring to modern day society, and that is a uh, strong work ethic. And then I eventually uh, moved on to uh, uh, another school, and I trained for years with my brother. Then eventually, my instructor one day invited me. Said, "Hey, Phil, you know there's a there's a school that I have out in the West End that I teach once per week. Will you come and help me?" And it was the first year of uh, going to university as well that time. And I consulted with my dad. And he said, "Go for it." And uh, Next thing you know, my instructor trusted me enough, and he passed on the torch to me. And uh, 30 years later, I, uh, I'm still uh, alive and kicking in the martial arts. Okay, there's so much in there that I want to dig into. I feel like my mind is blown. Okay, that first <laughs> off, that's the first thing that I want to say. So you were brought into this, obviously, by someone else, by your father. You, it seems yep. like you had a relatively traumatic first experience, right? Break your knuckle. <laughs> what was it that made you keep coming back? Was it his desire that turned into your desire? Or was there something from that first session that you were like, uh, that like stuck? I, I'm, I'm curious about that. Wow. That's a great question. You know, I think uh, I can't help but think the, uh, what got me into it and what's kept me in it. I can't help but think but what I like to call the uh, cycle of uh, motivation. In the beginning, I was inspired by my instructor. You know, it's like, remember I said I was watching Bruce Lee movies. Next thing you know, I see this legendary master, you know, breaking boards and spewing knowledge and wisdom. So in the beginning, it was, uh, it was my instructor who would inspire me. But then, um, then it was motivated by my friends, Right. And I, I guess you could say that many communities, the running community, the yoga community, but the martial arts community, you know, we have a, a strong, you know, brotherly, sisterly bond, if you will. So you can't wait to see your, your friends, you know, spar with them, train with them. But then uh, fast forward to when I became an instructor about five years later, uh, then I became self, self-motivated. That's where the point where you do not care who's teaching the class and you do not care if your friends are there or not, you're there for yourself. So it became self-motivated. And then uh, fast forward years later, when I became the head instructor, on days that I was having a tough day, a stressful day, a tired day, I remember once um, I was uh, so sick that my brother uh, had to drive me to, uh, to the dojang. We call it dojang because it's a Korean martial art. Japanese arts, we call it dojo. And I was so sick. Uh, Nicole, I was lying in my in the passenger seat. I was lying down uh, with the seat reclined, and I was so stuffy. I was like, uh, 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 I could barely speak. But then I remember looking up as we arrived in the parking lot. You know, people in their white pajamas or their white dough box, their geese, if you if you will, you know, with their bags, you know, walking into the gym as I'm in the parking lot watching these people, and I'm going to myself, wow, 
these people are here uh, to learn martial arts and then counting on me to be at my best self. And so I remember I went from stuffy and <laughs> miraculously we started the class and I was all of a sudden my, my voice came back to me and it was like, this is how we start a class. And then by the end of the class, I went back to, oh, take me, oh, I'm dying, I'm dying, <laughs> right? So then the last um, cycle of motivation is you become motivated by the people you motivated along the way. Mm-hmm. So my full cycle. So I think that's what's kept me going on this journey of martial arts and life. Yeah, I mean, that that's, it's a beautiful story. It's a beautiful perspective. And I think it's so important. I'm personally pretty obsessed with what I call the myth of motivation. Like, I think that we tell ourselves a lot of stories about this idea of motivation, especially when it comes to physical training or exercise, or, you know, people are, oh, well, I'm just not motivated to work out or whatever. And, you know, for me, I always think of a couple different perspectives. One, this idea, and I've said this for sure on other episodes, but that I think that it's a false belief that we have to be motivated to do something in order to do it. Like you can do something even if you're not in the mood to do it, right? Like you can be sick and do it anyway, or you can be tired and show up anyway. And that I think that it's, you know, taking consistent action lead like builds momentum, which leads to motivation, which then I love what you said that it's a cycle, right? That that kind of, I think on like a granular basis self-perpetuates, but I love what you said, these different phases of your life that what motivates you maybe in one period of time might be like that it changes, right? It might be you're motivated by your instructor. You're motivated by your peers. It's completely an internal self-motivation. You're motivated by the idea of motivating others that I don't know, like what works at one time might not be what drives you at another time. And that that's completely fine, that it's this kind of evolving thing. I agree 100%. Well said. The other thing that you said that I absolutely want to come back to, this idea of what you said about um, creating a high-performance environment, that mm. it essentially doesn't have to be fancy. And uh, that what that kind of meant to me was, I think, one of the one of the ways that we get in our own way, for lack of like a less elegant phrase, like one of the ways that we get in our own way, I think, is by believing that the conditions have to be perfect or we have to have like exactly the right gear, exactly the perfect equipment. We have to, you know, have the best setup or the bit like it's so easy to get stuck. I even thought about this when I started the podcast. Okay, well, I have to have the perfect recording setup and like what's the best equipment or the bit like it's easy to kind of keep yourself stuck in the space of, well, I have to create like the, you know, if you want to write a book or whatever, the perfect writing nook in your house, whatever, when actually you just need like to sit down and put words on paper, right? Like even in a very unsexy manner. So Uh I know I'd I'd love to hear a little bit more on kind of your thoughts for, I don't know how not to get stuck in that or what you think a real high performance environment actually looks like. Yes. Um, yeah, it's a Spartan, uh, Spartan training atmosphere. You know, uh, when you ask me that question, I'm almost thinking of uh, uh, of the, the concept of essentialism. Now, a lot of my friends have seen the movie Minimalism on Netflix, which I've seen as well. But uh, I've been living, you know, a Zen Zen lifestyle for a little while. And to me, it's uh, your environment should be a function of both uh, beauty and uh, I like to say bulletproofness. <laughs> um, for example, at my dojang, I have just enough space. I wish I had greater space, but at the same time, I do not wish to increase my rent uh, by 100% either. And yet, uh, and it's just enough, and you have everything is strategically designed, everything has a purpose, everything has a utility, and yet I have to credit my wife, uh, Amelia, a lot for this, but she also brings a lot of beauty to the environment as well. So in my dojang, because we're 30 years 
uh, we're able to uh, have the uh, funds to have a beautiful uh, mural, a graphic mural of uh, a Japanese Zen garden and uh, a golden temple and uh, and uh, Japanese uh, cherry blossom trees. So to me, it's uh, environment should be a, a function of uh, of beauty, but also being bulletproof, meaning you know solid and strong and uh, practical. Yeah, which doesn't have to have tons of bells and whistles, right? Like it's it's almost like you need to be able to get clear on what the heart of the thing is. Like, what are you actually training to do? What are you trying to accomplish? And the things, whether it's equipment or setup or whatever that you need to achieve that, is usually I would I would say a lot less than what we think we need. And speaking of uh, needs, uh, you're catching me an interesting time because last about two years ago, a year and a half ago was one of the most uh, uh, tumultuous times in my year in our lives. It made me think that you have to reinvent yourself every 10 years because if you're not proactive, uh, life will thrust change upon you. So you might as well be proactive. But in this case, life was thrust upon us. And all the major challenges that ha- that could happen in, in a life uh, did happen. We ended up, uh, because our business, our martial arts academy was at a crossroad, after much uh, soul searching and researching, we ended up uh, launching an after-school program, which also meant that uh, we had to change our kids' uh, school, which also meant we had to move. And so all these things were all happening at the same time. But one, uh, when you talk about needs, one um, light bulb moment was when we decided to sell our house. And uh, our next-door neighbor happens to be a, a mover, professional mover, and they quoted us as needing one and a half trucks to move our stuff. Now, I don't know exactly the dimensions of those trucks, but they're huge. <laughs> yeah. And he said, one and a half trucks? That's, that's crazy. And so I started looking around our house, and we get comfortable in our environment, you know, with our books, our furniture, and our stuff. But then we started purging. We started uh, zenning out, if you will. And so... Little by little, we decided that's it. We need to purge. So we, 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 uh, we threw stuff out. We put something recycling. We donated stuff. We we went on Kijiji, and uh, you know our, our neighbors must have thought it was an interesting time because we had people coming in at our houses with furniture and couches, and I was able to uh, reduce it to one truck, which is still a lot of stuff. And so, and this was uh, ten years worth of stuff for a family of four, and at the time. I was not only embarrassed at how much stuff I had, but I was almost ashamed of how much stuff that I had. So now, uh, I won't say that we downsize, but I'll say we right-size. We now live in a bungalow, and you know, you you walk into our house, and it's hey, there's the there's the living room, and there's the kitchen is right there. The mud room is right beside the fridge, which is perfect. You walk a few more steps. Uh, my first son's room is there. Four more steps. My other son's room there. Two more steps. The bathroom is there. Three more steps. Our bedroom is there, and laundry is there. So we've—I like to think that I've reached a stage in my life where I'm right-sizing and just focusing on the basic needs, and the rest we just we give away, we donate, we recycle, or we sell on Kijiji. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think you're speaking to this idea that I, something that I think about a lot—that it's there's a lot of empowerment that comes in any situation from being able to. To clearly define what enough is for you and being comfortable in that space and not always trying to more, 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 you know, and I think that, yeah, I think there's a lot of power in that. So 
This might be a silly question, but I'm going to ask it anyway, because if it's a question I have, maybe it's a question that someone else has. Um, So you are a seventh degree black belt, and I have no idea what that means. So will you teach me, please? Oh, certainly, certainly. So in the martial arts, there's uh, uh, hierarchies, there's belts. So in Taekwondo, there's white belt, signifies innocence. Yellow is uh, represents a seed. Then green uh, belt is like the seed growing. And blue belt is uh, representing uh, the seed, the flower blooming towards the sky. So the blue sky is the limit. And then you achieve your red belt. And red belt symbolizes danger, you know, like a red light or a stop sign, meaning you've acquired enough skills. So be careful not to misuse them. And black belt represents the opposite of white, which is doesn't represent um, fearlessness, but imperviousness to fear, meaning uh, you have fears, but you face them uh, nonetheless with courage and integrity. So uh, that's the hierarchy from white belt to black belt. And then in my art, there's degrees, first, second, third, fourth, and fifth, and so on. When you achieve uh, fourth degree, you become an international instructor. Uh, And when you achieve seventh degree, you become a a master instructor. Eighth and ninth degree are grandmasters. So it took me uh, 27 years uh, to achieve my black belt, uh, my seventh degree black belt. And uh, truth be told, it's uh, when the grandmasters awarded me, they said, you know, Phil, you have now earned the right to be called master. But truth be told is the only thing I've really mastered is uh, tying my shoes. Hmm. And uh, my shoes are actually Velcro. I've actually retired officially from shoelaces. So everything I have does not have shoelaces. So really, it's, it's a title. But to me, it's more of a testament to uh, perseverance. I think one of the things that Alexandra Franzen and I uh, spoke about, she was our mutual friend in introduction. So shout out to Alex. Yay. Yeah. Yay. We you're, love you, Alex. You're, you're <laughs> awesome. Um, is one of the discussions we had is when she was asking me about my journey, I said, you know, I never set the goal to become a black belt. I never set the goal to become a master. I never even set a goal to have a martial arts academy. Uh, I just I kept on going to class. I just kept on marching. So to me, it's a, it's a good analogy for life. If you believe in yourself, if you believe in your vision, if you if you're good with the people you're uh, you're marching with on the journey of life, then just keep on marching. Yeah, that ooh, that speaks to me a lot. This idea that goals can come to you essentially through just like the consistent act of doing the work, right? Like that this idea you, I mean, it's not to say you couldn't have set it as a goal and still reached it, but there's something really powerful about, I'm just going to continue to do the work on a day-to-day basis and like see where that leads. So yes, I'm a, I'm a huge uh, goal setter, but I believe uh, it's also important to be present and mindful about what's happening around you. Um, you know, we all have our own beliefs, but those beliefs are based on evidence. I, imagine the beliefs are a table and evidence are the, uh, uh, the table legs. Uh, but then when you look around, sometimes the evidence changes. And so it's important to reevaluate our beliefs. So the only thing I'm really attached to is the present moment. And if, if, if I think it's, it, it's good for me and it's good for the people around me uh, and I'm enjoying the journey, then I keep on marching. So this might be a, a tough question to answer, but just uh, an approximate or an estimate, how many hours of your life would you say you have dedicated to Taekwondo? I, I can't even answer in questions uh, in hours. <laughs> I'd have to say percentage-wise. Okay. <laughs> um, in the moment, I give 100% of my time. 
I'm always 100% there for my students. Um, but then when I'm not with them, I'm 100% with whoever I'm with, which is my wife and my kids. But you know what? I'll, I'll answer your question. Hours? Um, need a calculator. Uh, yeah. I don't know. Tens of thousands of hours. Yeah. I mean, over 27 years, right? Like, I would yeah. assume that's an but insane that's, amount that's of time. That's a good quantitative question because to me, in the beginning, Taekwondo was a sport. Then I, it became an art then a philosophy, but now it's just a way of life. It's just like brushing my teeth. So if I could do a calculation on brushing teeth, you know, it's, uh, it would be analogous. You know, it's hard to start to uh, quantitate that, but, um, you know, tens of thousands of hours really, because it's, it's a way of life for me. It's not my life. It's a way of life. Mm-hmm. And that's uh, what distinguishes me actually from a lot of my peers. And if we can um, maybe go down this route a little bit, if you're okay. Yeah. Um, Martial artists are very passionate, and yet we represent less than 1% or 2% of society who are actively practice and train in the martial arts. And so when I discovered that, I realized that I wanted to cross that bridge from the dojang, the dojo, and bring it out into the real world. And so I'm so passionate about martial arts that I created a bully busters program so that I can teach the best of martial arts to grade school kids into schools, but the entry point being the pain point of bullying that happens in school. And also took my, I created a black belt leadership program uh, for corporations and, uh, and, uh, and uh, associations so I could teach uh, professionals the martial arts wisdom and philosophies to face their everyday problems. And so I've, so uh, as a result, I've walked the path of professional speaker and author and facilitator and go out of the dojang to reach the rest of those 98% of society. And that's why I'm talking to people like, uh, like yourself. There's very few martial artists who go out uh, and, um, and go out to all these podcasts or personal development conferences to meet the Tony Robbins and Brandon Bouchard's, but also uh, bring it into the boardrooms and the classrooms in addition to their communities. So just want to thought I'd mention that because it's been a, uh, it's been a tough journey while balancing a business and family to go out and spread the good word about uh, what you believe in. Yeah, no, so I definitely want to talk about that. So you mentioned, you know, working with kids, this Bully Busters program. Um, What is it about bullying specifically, like either your own experience or why did that become something that you wanted to help kids with? Thanks. I was uh, bullied myself Um, when I was in uh, grade seven. uh, There was a grade eight who would uh, follow me in this, like a bigger, heftier guy. For some reason, it took it upon himself to intimidate me and to stalk me and to follow me into the streets outside of the school. I remember being so scared that I would, you know, try to walk across the street and hide behind cars on my way home. And uh, although it never physically uh, hurt me, I uh, did not enjoy, appreciate being bullied and uh, psychologically and living in fear. And then the following year, I was in grade eight, my graduating year. Back in the day, we had uh, up to grade eight here in Canada. And um, two girls were my frenemies. They were actually friends, but I remember waiting in, uh, in, uh, in line in our single file, as Jerry Seinfeld would say, uh, in, um, uh, after recess. And uh, while the teachers weren't looking, you know, they would hurl uh, racial epithets at me, you know, because uh, I'm a Vietnamese origin. 
born and raised in Canada, uh, but uh, you know they make the slanted eyes look, and uh, they would tease me, and uh, so there's a, a victim of racial bullying. And then fast forward to when I became a parent ten years ago, and of course my number one fear was my uh, son, my firstborn son, being bullied. I have two sons now, but I remember meeting his teacher for a first teacher conference, his kindergarten teacher, and I asked her. And I asked her, you know, is, is, is my son okay? Is there any bullying going around? I said, oh, no, 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 he, he's good. I said, oh, uh, that's great. May I ask how come? You think he's, uh, you know, he's not bullied? And she answered, because they respect him uh, too much. So then I said, oh, wow, when you respect yourself, you know, it's, it's hard for people to disrespect you. And so fast forward another year or so, and then I decided to write my first book, which is a uh, nine secrets of uh, of uh, family martial arts training, and I was on uh, vacation with my family, and I was reading, glowing, uh, basking in the glowing reviews of my family members and friends on Amazon, saying great book on martial arts and family training. And then I make, came across um, almost a book in itself, a scathing review about why my book sucked and why I sucked personally as well. Yes, I was so shocked and I won't say devastated, but I was amazed at how much effort this person took to uh, dissect every single sentence in my book by page and uh, denigrate me and my work. And I thought, oh my goodness, uh, I had a new revelation that no matter how successful you are in life, uh, people will still bully you or uh, hate on you or troll you. And believe it or not, that negative review inspired me to write my book, Bully Busters and Beyond, uh, Nine Treasures to Self-Confidence, Self-Esteem, and uh, Strength of Character, which I now, which I've been teaching in the schools for many years to tens of thousands of students. Uh, yeah. So, and the whole philosophy there is uh, when you are strong enough on the inside, then you'll be tough enough to face any challenges on the outside. Because for me, you know, some, uh, some people may disagree, but to me, um, bullying is here to stay because as long as there's people, there's going to be people mistreating people. And, you know, the, it goes back to the days of uh, prehistoric times. I mean, predators will prey on their prey. And so to me, it's, it's, kindness is great. That's one of the, the treasures. It's also about developing a strong mind, uh, physical fitness, assertiveness in your behavior, uh, as well as kindness in your actions so that you can have peacefulness in our world. So yeah, bully busters. Yeah, no, I, I, I love this. I'm really, I'm really interested. Again, I feel like this is the type of thing that on the surface level, you'd be hard pressed to find someone that doesn't agree with, right? Like, yeah, teach kids kindness and self-respect and that type of stuff. But obviously, as you know, there have to be like, there has to be an actual kind of like tangible, tactical way to do that. So I'm curious if there's I don't know, one specific exercise or teaching or something that you've found to either be really effective in working with other parents or teaching directly to kids? Like, is there something that really seems to catch people's attention when you teach it in this yes. kind of topic? Yes. Assertiveness in your behavior, carrying yourself with confidence, which is a function of um, verbal and uh, nonverbal de-escalation techniques. So nonverbal, the first thing I teach the kids, so you can imagine – uh, ourselves right now in a gym of you know two three four hundred kids of all ages from uh, kindergarten to grade six lots of energy so I have everyone standing up right and I say okay everyone uh, walk with uh, how would you 
I'm standing up right now in front of my computer so I can feel the physiology as well. But uh, I asked the, the kids, I asked, you know, how would you uh, describe someone or how would you stand if you had uh, no confidence? And of course, the kids know, they, you know, they put their heads down, their, their shoulders are slouched. So now I say, look, now can you show me walk with confidence? And everybody says, walk with confidence. So then they walk, they, you know, their arms are pumping, their chin is up. And uh, the shoulders are up. Now, uh, people can't see me right now, but I'm not a physically imposing person. I'm uh, five foot four inches, right? But I, I walk with confidence. And, you know, there's that five that, you know, uh, you know I, don't, I don't think I should mess with this person, right? Just because he or she is walking with confidence. So that's the first thing, walk with confidence. Number two is appropriate eye contact. On the one extreme, there's people who look down and uh or away and on the other hand you also don't want to be staring down people so what i like to say when it comes to appropriate eye contact is to glance so when you're walking down the street down the gym or in the public environment you glance you're aware of what's going on around you kind of like uh, that bruce lee scene where he has peripheral vision he's surrounded by you know 50 50 uh 50 uh, foes but he can see you know uh, at least 180 degree peripheral vision or more. So you're aware of what's going on and you can glance, which sort of um, transmits the message that uh, I can see you and I know you're there. I'm aware that you're there. Mm-hmm. You're not scared. You're not paranoid, but you're aware. You're aware. You're not afraid. And the third thing I say in terms of nonverbal is uh, assertive stance. What is an assertive stance is uh, when you're confronted is you have one leg in front and one leg behind and you have both palms up. Now, you don't have both palms up in the sense that, you know, like a scaredy cat pose, you know, shaking, but nor do you have your fists up, which denotes aggression. So you don't want to be passive, nor do you want to be aggressive. You want to be assertive. Assertive is when you uh, not only respect yourself, but you respect the people around you. Mm-hmm. And so, so you walk with confidence, appropriate eye contact, and assertive stance. And in terms of uh, verbal de-escalation, I tell people to say, you know, uh, say, okay, please, I don't want any trouble or sorry about that. First level. Level two is, you know, if someone's invading your physical space, then you, you put your hands up and you say, back away, you're too close. And your voice is going up a little bit more. Third level is you say, stop. Now I just put my hand out. You're not hitting them. Because the schools, let's say schoolyard bullying, that's uh, uh, no no tolerance for violence. But you're putting your hand up assertively. And last level, you know, if you have to, you have to defend yourself. Then that's where martial arts and self defense comes in. Does that help? Uh? I mean, yeah, no, this is incredible. So I assume that these are things that you have taught your own sons. Yes. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Um, how kind of on the flip side? How would you say, kind of on a personal level, that parenting has changed you? Hmm. Great question. Um, uh, two words, more and less. <laughs> <laughs> okay, what do you mean by that? Uh, more worries about what could happen, uh, more love, more responsibility, uh, more of enjoying life uh, to the fullest because now it's like living vicariously through our own childhood but now through their eyes. Uh, and at the same time, um, you know, less uh, uh Less distractions, um, meaning le- uh, less. You know, you know uh, that there's more clarity, so there's less um, distractions of what you know is uh, you need to get it done. So yeah, more and less. And um, you know, they say 
when you have more kids, you know, you have to divide your time, but your love multiplies. It's, I don't know if that's possible, but you actually have more love in your heart. And to me, whenever at the end of uh, I remember I was telling you my morning ritual, my nighttime ritual, uh, I feel super blessed, but I go to one room and I kiss one of my son and I, as he's sleeping and, and then I caress him and I say, I whisper in his ear, even though they're sleeping, I say, you're destined for greatness. I go for my other son too. I say, I love you, son. They're sleeping. Je t'aime mon amour. We speak French here in Canada as well. And I say, you're destined for greatness. And then I go to bed uh, with my wife. So it's, uh, uh, you know, my, my ninja son, they give me the strength of a thousand men, which is great because I need it because when they whine and they complain, uh, I need the strength of a thousand men. <laughs> oh my God, that's, that's such a good answer. Um, so I know in addition to working with kids that in your Black Belt Leadership Program that you also work with adults, with companies, you know, a whole range of things. I'm really curious how that work is similar and different to what you teach kids. Like what are the core principles that you work on when you work with adults? <coughs> Certainly, certainly. Uh, if I can segue by saying this, though, uh, between the kids um, uh, and, uh, uh, and the adults, uh, my kids currently are 6 and 10. It's what I like to call the golden age of performance. They're not into diapers anymore, not too much crying, just whining and stuff, but they're also high performers, So, meaning we have them in a whole bunch of activities. But... The reason I cherish these moments right now, because my personal philosophy, if I were declared uh, the, the, uh, the president of the United States or the uh, prime minister of Canada for one day, I would declare a national emergency. And that is remind all parents that we only have 10 years to make a market impact on our children's lives and influence their beliefs and behaviors for the rest of their lives. And to me, that is my philosophy is that is between the ages of three and the ages of 13, because before three, you know, diapers and all that stuff. And even 13, I'm pushing it because now they become peer influence. And so our time, if you think about it, and Nicole, our time with our children as little people, as I like to call them, will actually be far outweighed by our relationship with them as adults. Because may I ask, you know, are, are your parents still around? Nicole? Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So this is a blessing. And but you still call her mom and dad, right? Sure. Yeah. And, and you've been an adult, uh, I guess, whatever, since you're, you know, whatever it is, 18 years old. And they will continue to be your mom. You'll, your relationship with them will be 30, 40, 50, 60 years. But their relationship with you as a child was only 10 years. And yet it is in those 10 years that will form the foundation of uh, their relationship with you for the rest of their lives. So that's why, to me, it's absolutely urgent and important for all of us to realize that those 10 years go by very quickly. The, what's the quote? Uh, when, when you have kids, the, years, uh, the days are long, but the, days, the, the years go by fast. Mm -hmm. So that's my philosophy, and that's why I'm spending so much time on not only my own kids, but uh, the thousands of kids in, uh, in my community. So... Segue into um, uh, the adults. You know, another quote that I that I believe is that it's easier to uh, uh, to build strong children than it is to repair uh, broken adults. Uh, when it comes to adults, what I've done well, for the kids is bully busters because the pain point is bullying in school. So nine treasures: self confidence, self esteem, strength of character. For adults, uh, what I teach is uh, black belt leadership, nine point path to a, a better, stronger, and wiser you.
Yeah. So when you're working with adults, um, what's my question? I guess I'm just curious kind of what that looks like, because, yeah, to your point, like there is something that's I would assume is I don't know if easier is the right word, but easier about working with kids and kind of their openness and like adults have all of their kind of baggage, right? And they're stuck in their ways and they have 30, 40, 50 years of habits or whatever. Like, what is it that you're really aiming to to teach them when you work with adults? Uh, first of all, it's, it's I don't even think I, I, I teach them anything. I'm only uh, there to remind them of what they already know. Mm. And that is what I said earlier. It's mind, body, spirit. You hear it all the time. Sounds so cliche. But uh, to give you an idea, um, when it comes to mind, I talk about uh, my point number one is wherever you are, be there. Number two is to pursue a noble cause. And number three is prepare for battle. So wherever you are, be there. It's that, uh, uh, that mindfulness uh, that we were talking about, being uh, present in the moment. And uh, in The Last Samurai, there's a quote that captures that. And that is, to know life in every breath, every cup of tea, that is the way of the warrior or in this case, the way of the modern warrior. So I teach them about the hour of power and the no electronics and the working the mental uh, discipline muscle. Uh, but then I'd also talk about you know pursuing a noble cause. To me, uh, a noble cause is even greater than uh, your goals because it's exactly that. It's a noble cause. What is, what is your purpose in this moment, at this time, in this environment? Uh, in this stage of your life, because I believe your, your purposes change. And uh, I think there's a quote um, that goes something like, I'd rather die doing something I love than to do to live doing something I hate. So it's to, it's to pursue a noble cause. And then uh, whenever your, your cause is, then you have to prepare for battle. I don't know if you've ever heard of the uh, book, The Art of War. Yeah, the, of course. Yeah, by Sun Tzu. A lot of people uh, reference that as a great uh, strategy book, as a great... Um, business book but one part that i like is uh, the part when they say uh, you have to lay out your plans right you have to prepare for battle there's a quote that says uh, no sun tzu says know yourself and know your opponent or your obstacles and you need not fear the result of 100 battles so there's a certain degree of self-awareness and awareness of those around you there's the uh, 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 researching and the soul-searching component to uh, the preparation aspect, which, of course, leads to, as we mentioned earlier, performance and eventually recovery. Um, I, I talk about uh, flowing like a master. You know, um, in uh, the martial arts, there's a, uh, uh, um, uh, uh, a concept of when you can't, uh, when, you, uh, when, you, when you're pulled, you push, when you're pushed, pull. But um, I'll give you an example, what I mean by flow like a master, that is adapting to the times. If you think about it, uh, can you give me an example of stuff that you're into uh, yourself right now? You mean like hobbies or activities or something? Yeah, yeah exactly. Just I mean, running for sure. I'm, I'm definitely really into running. Um, I don't know if that's a good example for where you're going with this. Um, actually, it is actually. But uh, well, let's say martial arts, let's say sports. You know, sports have been around for what? Certain sports have been around for 100 years, 200 years. Martial arts has been around for what? Over 1,000 years as an industry. It started off with Shaolin monks learning Kung Fu, you know, to defend their temples. 
But then if you fast forward to the 1970s, when Bruce Lee came onto the scene, remember I was telling you about Bruce Lee movies on uh, watching on Betamax, um, and he inspired generations back in the 1970s because people wanted to learn you know, self-defense and for stress relief. But then in the 1980s, if you remember the Karate Kid, remember the Karate Kid? Oh, yeah, 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 definitely. Wax on, wax off. Believe it or not, that movie actually revolutionized the martial arts industry because then uh, parents realized the life-enhancing values of martial arts for kids. And then 1990s, it was Tai Bo, Billy Blanks. Oh, yeah, Billy Blanks. <laughs> and now people are inspired, whether from uh, mixed martial arts to uh, Kung Fu Panda to Power Rangers. And now if, if you ever go to your local dojang or dojo, at least my martial arts academy, it's very family-oriented. In fact, tonight I'm going to be teaching a packed class of new students from my, my son's school who are doing a Taekwondo intro class. We like to say a family that kicks together, sticks together. My point is that martial arts have adapted over the centuries. And so that's why I believe we as professionals in our careers, we should be able to flow like a master, be adaptive to our times, to the evidence that's around us while balancing it with what's in our hearts. And so that's why I say research and soul search flow like a master so you can uh, endure the times and like the martial arts remain relevant uh, to current times. So I talk about adapting uh, to uh, uh, to your careers and different stages in your careers. So this brings up something else that I, I mean, this is totally a selfish question, something that I'm like definitely think of all the time and don't have an answer to, and maybe there is no answer, but I'm curious on how you approach this idea that kind of plays into what you just said of, you know, flow, because mm. how do you strike, I don't even know if balance is the right word, but how do you kind of grapple with the intersection of like needing both discipline and flow, right? Like when is it time to, you know, dig in and stay the course and be have that, you know, like really disciplined kind of gritty mindset versus when is it time what, like to recognize that it's time to adapt? Like, how do you think about kind of that interplay? Uh, do you mind to give me a bit of more context in your particular example? Yeah, I mean, I just I think it's a it's questions that I have heard, you know, from friends and people a lot. You know, how do you know when you're just in a low period and, you know, someone let's say you're really unhappy at your job. Right. And it's when is it time to just like stick with it and push through the hard thing and you're going to come out on the other side and it's going to be better versus recognizing, no, it really is time to make a change. Right. With like any I don't know, like a relationship or a job or just that. I think it's 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 so easy to just say one or the other, you know, like just stick with it. But that's not always the right. <laughs> that's not always the right choice. And I don't know if there's ever been an instance for you where you had to decide to, you know, you, you kind of found yourselves at that crossroad. I assume in 27 years of practicing you know, martial arts, there were definitely periods where I don't know, maybe you questioned it or I don't know. I'm just I don't know if that's like a clear enough question, but. I think oh, that, absolutely. Yeah, okay. This is a great question to which I do not have an answer. <laughs> yeah, but, no, me either. <laughs> but I do have, uh, and I believe people will find it within themselves and with their, within their own uh, context. But I will share two stories, how it went either way. Yeah, I would love that. Okay, yes, story time. Good. <laughs> so my background is actually in engineering. I graduated a bachelor's degree uh, in engineering. That said, it took me almost seven years to do it because I failed multiple courses. 
And then I was in a co-op program, which they place you into jobs. And um, I was actually the first one uh, who didn't get an interview the first time I had. So I had to pound the pavement and, and get my own job. And then by the time I graduated, I, uh, I was had a, lot, a job lined up and actually received a phone call from the vice president of the company telling me, Phil, not only are we not going to be able to hire you, we're actually going to have to de-hire some people who have been with the company for quite some time. It was back in the uh, early 1990s. It was one of the uh, worst uh, economic recessions. And yet I still managed uh, to find a career in uh, corporate training. But then at the tech, at the, uh, at the uh, peak of the high-tech um, boom, uh, I was employed, but also laid off not once, not twice, but three times. So this was a rocky path from my engineering degree to my co-op to my first job to finally find a career in uh, high-tech corporate training. And I remember the, the last time that I was laid off, I didn't cry. I wasn't angry, but I was a little bit scared and uh, self-reflective. So I remember walking uh, to the river across the street. No, I wasn't contemplating jumping in, but just sitting on the bench and saying, thinking to myself, dear God, you know, why? <laughs> you know, what, you know, what should I do? What's my next step? And if you recall, back in the day, I was asked by my instructor to teach uh, martial arts. And so I was exploring where I was in my life. I said, well, the tech world is not working for me right now. The corporate world is, uh, has been rather uh, rocky for me at the moment. And yet, what do I love, right? What do I love? What do I love? Well, I love teaching. You know, in this case, I love martial arts. I love being with people. I love inspiring people. So maybe I can do something with this martial arts uh, school. And so that's when I decided to become an entrepreneur and uh, start my own business. And so that was one example of, I won't say giving up, but uh, changing paths. So that was 25, 30 years ago. Yeah, no, that's a great story. So that's one story of how, you know, I, I completely changed paths. But the fast forward, you would think that, hey, you know, this guy's been running his martial arts school. He's seen it all. Two years ago, um, uh, we were starting to face some uh, some challenges with my uh, martial arts academy, whether it's because of more competitors or more activities that uh, other people, other kids would do, dance, hockey. We're big on hockey in Canada, soccer, you know, competitive this, elite program that. Uh, and I also started seeing the, uh, the, the parent, the adult base uh, dwindle at our school, our Taekwondo school. And uh, not many people know this, but uh, for the first time in uh, almost 30 years, I even contemplating, contemplated uh, shutting my school down, which be like removing body parts because I mentioned earlier, it's, it's, a, it's a way of life for me. And uh, just because of the finances and the overhead was quite large. I live in a, uh, I have a fairly uh, premium location in my community bricks and mortar uh, building, if you will. And, um, you know, it was, uh, it was soul searching time. And uh, thankfully I had my wife by my side and uh, we, in our case, there was this trend of after school programs. 
Uh, now, this is specific to martial arts, but I'm sure if you know you or your listeners and their careers open their eyes, you know the solutions are all around you. Um, so some some other martial arts uh, school programs were doing this, but you know what, what was stopping me was okay. Well, it looks like uh, doing the math. Um, it seems like a profitable thing to do that would help us uh, stay afloat and pay our debt and our bills and remain competitive and relevant again. But you know what was stopping me, Nicole? At the time, it was my beliefs uh, was stopping me. I said, well, you know what? I'm used to teaching from 6 to 9 p.m. Now I have to go at 2 p.m. It's I'm going to be there the whole day. And what about supper time? And, you know, uh, how, how, do, how does the transportation thing work? You know, we figured it out. Uh, Marie Forleo says it, you know, says everything is figure outable. Yeah. You know, Tony Robbins says whenever we're faced with challenges, if we've ever overcome with challenges, it's not a question of resources. It's a question of resourcefulness. If you look back, if, if, if whoever is listening to this looks back to when they've overcome adversity, it's usually come down to faith or perseverance, hard work, dedication. That's it. Intangibles, resourcefulness. And so we decided to, to do it. So we got to know the uh, uh, the bus companies. We got to know the logistics. We, we had a whole uh, mind map. We had post notes all, of our, all over our wall. We go, okay, this is school. This is our kid's school. This is school one, school two. This is our academy. You know, these, uh, you would have to pick them up over here. Here's a van. You know, it's kind of like minority report here. We're, we're, we're switching things with our hand. I'm going to have to, you know, look after the kids there. But we got, and then, you know, we got hundreds of thousands of dollars worth invested. And we got her done. And in the, I, I got an Excel spreadsheet. You know you get a serious goal when you get to break out the Excel spreadsheets, yeah. right? Calculations. <laughs> and so I, uh, I did the calculations. I say, okay, you know, so it's a big investment, you know, but, uh, you know, let's take a deep breath and breathe, you know. I even had my two kids going in a parking lot with us and putting flyers on windshield, right? And, you know, because when you're – you know, rock bottom, dare I say, you know, nothing is beneath you. Yes. Oh, no, I listen. I'm obsessed with this whole story. I think it's so I mean, it's so relevant to me. I think it's so relevant to everyone that it's it's really easy to get stuck in our kind of ruts. And like you said, like our beliefs and get held back by our beliefs and just kind of like a narrow mindedness that can come over time of repeatedly doing the same thing. And this idea, you know, when you're in a when you're facing a challenge or a question or an obstacle, like it's so easy to kind of just ruminate on it and cycle and be in this place of complaining. And, you know, there isn't a solution. And what am I going to do? But it's like, I don't know, I hear so much in this story you just shared of the willingness to even open yourself up to solutions without immediately saying, well, that wouldn't work because, right? Like, oh, this after school thing wouldn't work because like, we can always find reasons and excuses why things wouldn't work. But even having the willingness to kind of take a step back and say, okay, how how would I act or how would I approach this if I were open to kind of new ideas or new scenarios or doing things that I might have previously said were beneath me? Like, I don't know, like you just mentioned that, I don't know, There's I think there's something really powerful in that in, in any situation or any challenge that you're facing just to be open to, you know, a completely surprise solution and not immediately, you know, with your conditioning and your maybe, I don't know, self-destructive beliefs saying why it wouldn't work instead looking at it from kind of a different angle. If inspired me uh, uh, to share more, uh, if I may. Um, yeah, of course. So now... Uh, remember I said the, the, the Excel spreadsheet, so I projected if we have you know, X amount of students, we 
um, sold out our program in what I thought would be two years. We reached the number in uh, in uh, the first three months. Wow! And um, and so now it's it's successful. People are um, are on our waiting list for two years from now. The, I have a military family who's coming from a different part of the country, saying, "Hey, we're going to be moving, you know, to this to your city, and we decide to move." Uh, within your school to be part of your after-school program. So can we please save a spot for 2018? That was last year, 2016. And I feel so blessed. Um, but I do have a thought to answer your question now through those two stories. One, the first one was being laid off and say, you know what, this is just not working. I got to do something else from corporate world to entrepreneurship. And then, and in this case said, you know, it's, uh, you know, you get uh, the answer in this case was within our own uh, model. Mm -hmm. But I think the best thought that I can share for anyone going through crossroads or challenging times is, uh, number one, keep marching. Number two is open your heart, your mind, and your eyes because the opportunities are not only around you, but they're already within you. And the good news is tomorrow's a new day. And just don't be attached to any beliefs or city, or things, or even people, unless it's the people you truly love and want to spend the rest of your life with, but do not be attached to anything except the present moment. And, you know, you will find a way. You'll find a way. Everything's figureoutable. Hmm. Yeah, no, I love that so much. So something else that I, I wanted to ask you, I really enjoyed reading um, some of the, I guess we'll call them testimonials on, on your site from people that you've worked with and taught. And there was one quote that really stuck out to me that I'd love to hear more about. Someone was talking about kind of the, I guess the talk you gave or the workshop or, you know, whatever the situation was and said, the thing that made this stand out is the underlying message that we need to have honor. And I feel like mm -hmm. honor is something, I don't know that just maybe it's in the circles that I'm in, but just isn't really talked about a lot. And I'd love to know kind of what that means to you, this idea of the underlying message that we need to have honor. Yeah, thank you for that. Wow, it's a, it's a powerful word. I remember uh, speaking to one of my colleagues who's also a martial artist, but uh, he worked for an organization for a long thing, long time, and uh, he inspired me when he said, you know, Master Phil, if, if, if you do anything with this black belt leadership thing, with this martial arts mission, is if all you do is restore honor uh, to the workplace, it'll be uh, an epic achievement. And so to me, wow, what is honor? You know, it's about... Um, respecting the values of uh, loyalty, uh, about respect, and about integrity, right? Integrity, being true to yourself and to others, even though people are not watching. Uh, it's about showing respect uh, in person, but now more than ever online, because it's so easy to, you know, to become a hater and to write nasty comments like my... Uh, Amazon reviewer uh, did and to hide behind a keyboard and uh, just um, just to know that if 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 your actions were published in the newspaper tomorrow morning you know is that something you'd be proud of or ashamed of and so yeah to me that's that's what honor is and remaining true uh, to your noble cause and to yourself and to the people around you. Mm, I love that so much. Thank you. So when we were 
chatting off the air um, about some things that might be fun to discuss, you said something that definitely piqued my interest. Um, and it was, uh, you said that you wanted to talk about real moments and miracles that you've experienced recently. And I think miracles is another word that doesn't get used very often. So I would love to know what you meant when you said you wanted to talk about those things. Thank you. Um, there's three that I can think of and the, they're polar opposites. Uh, one relates to birth and the other one relates to death or almost near death, if you will. So the first two are uh, my own son's births. Uh, my first son, I remember uh, 10 years ago, almost 11 years ago, actually, he, um, we were at the hospital and um, next thing he knows, uh, we, the, the, the nurse discovered that the, 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 the baby was under distress because the heart was beating very quickly. So uh, we had to rush and uh, decided to, to do a cesarean. And when we were in that room, uh, just time stood still. Everything stopped. It's just like in the movies. I, I could just hear my heartbeat. And the next thing you know, I hear the doctor uh, unwrapping the umbilical cord from my son's neck. And I remember him counting down, say one, two, and three. Because he was... Um, uh, his neck was wrapped by the umbilical cord, so he was under distress. So that's why we had to perform. And then I heard him cry, and you know, it's the birth of my first son. And time stood still, not just in that moment, but for the next few days, nothing else existed to me in that uh, in that moment. Just me, my wife, and a newborn. And then the second real moment, and when I say real, that means when my emotions are so intense. They're so intense, and you can hear your own heart beating and, and time stands still. Uh, the second miracle was my, my son's birth, and it was you know, after cesarean. It was a, a VBAC. It was actually you know, a vaginal birth after cesarean. And um, the nurses said they had never seen that or they had rarely seen that. And I, I feel blessed that I was uh, able to witness that. So miracle of birth, my two sons. But the third one happened two months ago. We're in the middle of conducting what we like to call our ultimate black belt test. Imagine uh, a room uh, full of people, about 100 people in our dojang, and their uh, family members, moms and dads, sons and daughters, training for their black belt test, which is it's a great honor after many years of training. Uh, at one point, we're doing the sparring. The sparring is uh, the combat. You know, they're wearing the glove boots and their hand boots, uh, their hand gloves. Excuse me. And then they're sparring, uh, which is I've seen, you know, thousands of these over the years. But all of a sudden, one of the uh, participants is a 51-year-old 50, man. He, is, uh, he was training with his wife and his daughter. All four of them were training for their black belt. All of a sudden... I see his eyes roll up. I see the white of his eyes. I'm standing at the head table, so I'm about 10 feet away from him. And all of a sudden, he just drops to the ground. And instantly, I knew there was something wrong because it wasn't from uh, you know being hit by a kick or a punch because that hadn't happened for a little bit. And so immediately, I basically jump out of my chair and um, we realize he's having struggling breathing. And you can see the white of his eyes. For the first few seconds, I thought that might have been a seizure because I have seen a seizure uh, uh, in someone taking my course once. 
But then um, his sparring partner uh, realized that he was actually having heart attack. And so uh, my student uh, started uh, performing CPR on him. He ripped off his shirt and he had the presence of mind of uh, performing CPR on him right away. Meanwhile, one of my other black belts was listening uh, for his breath. I was holding onto him to the side. And one of my students said, should we call 911? I said, please do. So right ahead. Please go ahead. And one of my 20-something black belts uh, rushed across the street to retrieve an AED, an automatic external defibrillator. He ran across the street uh, in his bare feet. So we called 911, performed CPR, we're performing chest compressions, chest compressions, chest compressions. Then we stopped to check for his pulse, and then he stopped breathing. And you could hear someone in the background screaming, oh my gosh, he's turning blue, he's turning purple. He stopped breathing. So basically, I had this man who was clinically uh, dead in my arms. And in that moment, it was the worst moment of my life for three reasons. Number one, I'm holding uh, potentially a man dying in my arms. Uh, number two, in front of his wife and his two girls who are off to the side crying because by now people are realize, realizing how distressful the situation is. And number three, from a martial arts point of view, it's the worst case scenario. Martial arts is good. It's not, I didn't want someone to die in my doje. And in that moment, um, I felt uh, the, uh, the light of God shining upon me. You know, there's six, seven mil billion people on this planet. I felt the light of the universe was shown upon us. And I felt God was saying to me, say, Phil, what are you going to do? And so even though I was very terrified on the, on the uh, worldly level, deep down inside of me, I thought to myself, now's not a time to be scared. Now we have to help this man live. And meanwhile, his partner, his, as we recollected later on, he said, you know, he was not, it's not his time. You know, his goal is to keep on breathing. So we kept on going, the chest compressions. And then finally, the, uh, the uh, defibrillator comes in. Uh, the pharmacist from next door had been uh, retreated. Uh, sorry, the dentist from next door had been retreated and retrieved. And then, you know, we opened up the AED. We performed the chest compressions, just kind of like in the movies, like the movie ER, you know, you know clear. <laughs> so what the defibrillator does is it resets your heart so it has a regular heartbeat. And then what had seemed like an eternity, but it turned out to be about 10 minutes in, by then the ambulances came in. And you know it was a serious because they sent in uh, not one but two ambulances and a uh, fire truck and, of course, the police. And they come in and they're yelling at us, say, keep doing what you're doing, keep doing what you're doing. But then, you know, you had an army of men and women in their, you know, paramedic suits. They're getting, uh, you know, the, uh, uh, the, the cart to uh, take him away. And as it turns out, um, you know, we saved the man's life. He lived. 
Wow. Yeah, that's a real moment. But that's not all. So we're all we're all uh, traumatized. We're all stressed. Some people are crying in the background. The uh, uh, you know I had a consultation with my black belts because nothing like this had ever, ever happened. And consultant said, "Hey guys, what do you think we should do?" I said, "Okay, we'll need to postpone," which is not an easy thing to do logistically because we only have these twice per year, and it's not easy to gather 100 people for the exact same thing, uh, same day. But we figured that out. But then we found out. Say, good news. Uh, the the head of paramedics comes in and says, "Good news." Uh, he's he's alive, he's well, and uh, he's talking. In fact, I think he used some choice words because he didn't want to go to the hospital, right? Um, and then uh, uh, the the head chief paramedic is uh, is is walking around consoling people, you know, like post traumatic uh, stress type of conversations. And then I said, oh, this guy looks like he's uh, knows what he's talking about. So I go chatting with him, and then I go to him, I, and I sigh, and I go. You know, today was supposed to be a day of celebration, and I'm 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 feeling all despondent and dejected. And he looks at me and says, "It is a day of celebration." He says, "Phil, whenever we arrive to these sites, the outcome is not always positive. You guys did a textbook a chain of survival. You called nine one one within seconds. We performed chest compressions." Within seconds, we found an AED uh, within uh, minutes, and uh, the first responders arrived quickly on the site. Because he said, usually, oftentimes people, you know, just watch because they're they don't know what to do, or even if people do know what to do, they're too scared uh, to do it. And as it turns out, uh, without an AED defibrillator, the chances of survival, and this is where the miracle portion comes in. Uh, a range from two to five percent, and as you may know, there's tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands, of heart attacks that go on every day. So statistically, without the AED, without the quick action we took, um, the chances of survival are minimal. So that's part of me why it was a, a miracle because everything was aligned logistically, but everything was aligned mentally. Because in that moment, remember I said it was the worst moment of my life. But when you think about it, when my wife came onto the scene a little bit later on with my two boys, and I'm so glad they were spared from that traumatic site, but my wife had a good point. He said, if you're going to have a heart attack, the best case scenario is to have it in front of a lot of people who not only know what they're doing, in our case, uh, my black belt knew CPR, uh, we knew where the AED was located, but to have the presence of mind and the self-control and the courage to take action because it's one thing to know CPR but it's quite another it's like oh shoot I gotta do this right so the mental uh, elements were into place and in, in this case uh, the spiritual uh, element was into place because I like I said God said to me he said Phil what are you gonna do and in this case it wasn't just me but it was my entire team and as I quoted to the Newspapers later on, it, it took a village uh, to save a man's life. And I discovered something about um, miracles, and that is it's a series of fortunate incidents that happen. Because imagine if, uh, first of all, uh, for anyone to have a heart attack, you know, what if you're alone? You know, I, I, my dad died of a heart attack related to his diabetes eight years earlier. And as it turns out, he was alone, you know, so it's kind of brutal for me to have that 
thought in my mind later on. Uh, and it, even if you're not alone, even if we're, if you're someone, does that person know CPR? And if so, does does he or he she have the guts to perform a CPR? Because it's a very uh, physically demanding thing. We ended up performing hundreds of chest compressions. And if so, does that person have the presence of mind to talk to 911, listen to instructions? And if so, is there an AED defibrillator around? In our town, in Ottawa, there's about a million uh, people, but there's about uh, 950 defibrillators uh, that are registered on public record. And that's why we're going to have a a fundraiser for a defibrillator, by the way, uh, in a few months. Uh, And if so, can you administer the defibrillator and so on and so on? And so to me, uh, if you think about what happened to Princess Leia, Carrie Fisher, and her mom, and the stories you read in the newspapers about uh, famous and not so famous people who have heart attacks every day or cardiac arrest, even in hospitals, and still they're not safe, or in airplanes or airports, they're still not safe. To me, it was a, it was a freaking miracle. And um, I feel like I, uh, him, my student, and all of us at the Dojang were given uh, a second chance at life. Um, so yeah, I feel I feel unbelievably blessed. And for me, just to have a conversation, just like we're having now, just I, I cherish every moment of it because I'm alive. Because I saw the face of death; it was in my arms and uh, came back to life. Thank you so much for sharing that story. I feel like it. I mean, it it's it encapsulates so much of what we've been talking about and what you know, I know your mission is this idea of kind of applying martial arts wisdom and principles to help people solve everyday problems. And I mean, I don't know that I would categorize, you know, a heart attack. I mean, I definitely understand why you talk about this as a miracle. It's not necessarily an everyday problem, but those qualities that you just mentioned, you know, the courage to do what's necessary in the moment and kind of the presence of mind to follow directions and to do that step-by-step, like those things, I can see how those qualities you know, in your student, like that comes out of, you know, the teaching and like the work that you do. So being able to have, you know, such an intense, I don't know, moment where that training comes to life. It's, it's almost seems like full circle of everything we've been talking about. Absolutely. So uh, may I wish you and everyone, you know, real moments and miracles and they do happen. We just have to open our minds, hearts uh, and spirits to them. Yeah. I mean, that's a wonderful place, I think, to start to wrap up. Um, As you know, the way that we end these episodes are with what we call community questions. (laughs) So they're kind of fun questions that the Real Talk Radio listeners want me to ask all of our eight guests of a given season. So we have nine kind of random questions if you are down to answer nine random questions. All right, let's do this. What's your favorite thing to eat for breakfast? (laughs) Same thing. My wife and I have oatmeal with our uh, protein powder and a scoop of peanut butter. But she complains that I often have a little bit more than a scoop, you know, because I love because <laughs> I love peanut butter. But yeah, our oatmeal with a protein powder. Um, I love peanut butter and oatmeal as well. So yes, my, my <laughs> husband and I do that as well. Um, it's the filling second... and easy to do. <laughs> <laughs> totally. So the second question, what would you say is the biggest challenge or obstacle that you're facing right now, either personally or professionally? What's kind of a sticking point that's in your way? Hmm. There's, there's so many obstacles, and yet at the same time, I know I'll figure it out. <laughs> hey, that's uh, an awesome answer right there. <laughs> uh, 
All right, let's move on. No, that's I love that. That's so good. Um, okay, so which I mean, you mentioned kind of your morning hour of power and you know some other things, but what regular habit or behavior would you say has contributed most to your happiness in recent years? Uh, just being attached only to the present moment, and that's it. And even if it's things like smiling, breathing saying thank you, looking up at the sky. I know it sounds so, you know, hairy-fairy, but it's very true. And that's what's kept me going. Just the mind-body-spirit check kept me going every day, um, you know, for 30 years of running a martial arts school. Yeah. So continuing on with that topic of, of kind of habits um, or, you know, whatever word we want to use, is there, you know, a daily habit or so, is there something that you would love to develop or something you're curious about, would love to try and maybe add to your life? Yeah, uh, cooking. I do know how to cook, but that said, um, you know, it consists mostly of microwaving and putting things into toaster oven. But, um, you know, I've been blessed with the first part of my life, my mom cooking stuff for me. And the second part of my wife, life is my wife cooking and baking. But uh, it's time for me to step up that game. So uh, cooking and uh, we had a two week Christmas holiday where I did most of the cooking and responsible for meal planning and management. So that's a great start. And I definitely want to honor my wife by stepping up my cooking game. All right. 2017, the year where you cook stuff. <laughs> I like it. I like it. Um, tell me some of the best advice that you have ever received. Um. Uh, you know, uh, put pride in your pocket. You know, nothing is beneath you. Mm. And, uh, you know, although life is not always great, it's uh, it's great to be alive. I love that idea of nothing is beneath you. I feel like of all the things we talked about in the conversation, that's definitely going to stick with me. I love that. Um, what's something that you really love about yourself? You know, that I'm still marching, that I'm uh, still going at it, and uh, that I still have my mental health. I still have my physical health and fitness. And, uh, you know, I still have a spirituality and faith in my life. Uh, it's, uh, I think Les Brown said it. He said, uh, you must remain steadfast on your journey to greatness. And to me, uh, if there's anything I'm proud of, it's remaining steadfast, being an anchor uh, for people in my life, being there as a father, as a husband, as a friend, as a son, as a teacher, uh, just being there for people, being present physically and uh, uh, spiritually and emotionally and morally for them as well. Steadfastness. Yeah. How do you pull yourself out of like a funk or a rut? What works for you to get you reengaged in either your work or your goals when you're feeling just not into it? Uh, mind, body, spirit, mind. Uh, I tell myself tomorrow's a new day. You know, no matter what happens, tomorrow's a new day because I've been through a lot of stuff, as I'm sure you have and many people have. In terms of body, just get the body moving. On the one hand, there's one extreme. There's a yoga sun salutation. On the other, the other hand, there's kicking and breaking stuff. Uh, in martial arts dojang, you can break boards, you can punch boards, uh, you can punch shields. So, you know, I believe there's a time in life that you... Uh, you want to relax, but there's a time in life you have to kick ass. And I think that you have to do, be able to do both, uh, not just figuratively, but, uh, uh, but physically as well. So get, that gets me going, right? Uh, and then uh, spiritually, you know, just, uh, just breathing and uh, believing that tomorrow's a new day. And then you have it within yourself uh, to achieve your, fulfill your destiny. One of my favorite quotes is by The Last Samurai, when he's asked, do you believe in destiny? 
And he answers, uh, I believe that a man or a woman does the best he or she can until his or her destiny is revealed. So you keep keep at her and, uh, you know, fulfill your destiny that way. I love that. I think I uh, need to break some more stuff in my life. I like that. I like your <laughs> <laughs> my my life has a lack of. It's time to just like break stuff. So that's you good. have to relax and kick ass. Yeah, you have to yeah. go and do both. No, I love it. Um, so I know that you've mentioned um, some books and resources and stuff already, but are there any other books of any genre that you would say have had a really big impact on you, or maybe that you tend to reread the most? Sure. Uh, I mentioned Tony Robbins. I read uh, his stuff. Uh, Brandon Burchard. Um, I love his stuff. The Charge, Activating the 10 Human Drives That Make You Feel Alive. Tish Nan Hat stuff, you know, peace is every breath. But I'm going to also have to add a shout out to Alexander Franzen's uh, 50 Ways to Say You're Awesome. Um, I think it's important uh, when you say to make a difference in the world around you. I mentioned all those charities earlier on, but sometimes it's just a, a, a matter of making people feel awesome. One thing I didn't tell you about myself is I believe that I specialize in making people feel awesome. And if you can enhance your power of vocab and find ways to compliment sincerely, uh, but constructively uh, and uh, regularly on a basis, I think that's a great way. And I love Alexandra Francis' book on that. 50 ways to say you're awesome. Yeah, I'll definitely put links to all this stuff in the show notes. Um, so the last question, if you could leave our community, the listeners with one call to action right now, maybe a question to ask themselves or a small action to take in the next week or so, what would it be? It would be to uh, reflect on a poem that I learned from Zen master, Tish Nhat Hanh, that I recite to myself first thing in the morning at the end of the day. So his poem is, I have arrived I am home. In the here, in the now, I am solid, I am free, in the ultimate I dwell. Hmm. Yeah, that's beautiful. I am home, I have arrived. So where you are in life is where exactly where you need to be and you have it within yourself to achieve greatness and fulfill your destiny. You're solid, you're free, you're grounded. And I'm still trying to reflect on what this means, and you can reflect on your own, but in the ultimate, I dwell. Whatever that means to you, the ultimate, I think it's a great reflection to have. Yeah, I think so too. So what's the best place for people to find you, maybe say hi online? Is there a way that people can connect with you? Sure. Um, Blackbeltleadership.com is one. Uh, Bullybustersandbeyond.com which I'm uh, rebuilding at the moment is another one, bullybustersandbeyond.com. And uh, my martial arts academy is uh, blackbeltexcellence.com. And of course, I'm on uh, Twitter, uh, masterphil underscore BBX. Well, I will put links to all of that in the show notes. Thank you so much. This was such a delight to have you on the show. I bow to Austin with Nicole, as well as all your listeners and patrons. Couldn't do it without you. And uh, keep living the dream. And that's our show for today. Thanks so much for listening and for being part of the Real Talk Radio family. I couldn't do this without you. And as I said way back at the top of the episode, this is now a 100% listener-supported show. The show is made possible by awesome people like Ruth. Hi, Ruth. Hi, Nicole. Lovely to speak to you. Are you ready to play a little game of Would You Rather? I am. As ready as I'll ever be. I'll have a go. 
Okay, would you rather have skin that changes color based on your emotions or have tattoos appear all over your body each morning that depict what you did the day before? Oh, my goodness. Oh, do you know, I think it would be really fun to change color like a chameleon, but I think that might give things away. So I quite like the idea of the tattoos. Have you seen Moana, the film? No. That, well, the hero in that is covered in tattoos, and every now and again the tattoos are all animated. It's a cartoon, but his tattoos come to life and act out little scenes. So that would be so cool if I had tattoos of the day before and I could kind of look in my right armpit and see what happened at 11 o'clock on Monday morning. I like that idea. <laughs> so I'll go with the tattoos. That's so funny. I love that. Um, and uh, yeah, that movie's been on my list. So I will definitely have to watch it, especially now with that fun little teaser. So that's good. Um, okay, the next one, would you rather never have to be stuck in traffic again or never get a cold or a flu again? Okay, now I hate having colds and flu. So this might be quite an easy one. And I guess I'm kind of cheating because where I live in Devon in the UK, we don't really have very much traffic. So kind of get stuck behind tractors and combine harvesters. But that's quite nice. So I'm going to go with no colds or flu. I would pick the same thing, although I can't say I've ever been stuck behind a tractor. (laughs) That is not (laughs) something I've experienced. Um, But yeah, never getting like sick again would be amazing. I would love that. Okay, so the last one, would you rather have to wear a wedding gown every single day or a bathing suit every single day? Oh, my. Oh. That's a ridiculous (laughs) question. I guess it depends on the kind of bathing suit. I'm not sure I'm up for going around in a bikini. That might be a little bit chilly. Um, I'd go with wedding gown because at least people would talk to me, wouldn't they? Why the hell are you wearing a wedding gown? (laughs) Yeah, I feel like the wedding gown would be strange, but not so inappropriate, right? Like, there's just some situations where I would be freezing or it would be terrible to be wearing a bathing suit, I think. Yeah, and I think, I guess, if I could have a new wedding gown every day, maybe a different style, that'd be quite cool. So, yeah, we'll go with the wedding gown. Yeah, me too. Um, So why don't you introduce yourself to the rest of the listeners real quick. Tell everyone where you live. I know you just mentioned that, but and one thing that you are totally obsessed with lately. I am Ruth and I'm a family doctor in North Devon, which is in the southwest of England. And I've got three boys who are 13, 11 and 6. So pretty busy. I'm a single mum and I'm totally obsessed with CrossFit, which is something I never thought I would say. (laughs) A couple of years ago, everyone that knows me would have fallen about laughing to hear that. But I love it. So that's my new little fitness thing. And I've made some lovely friends and... That's what I'm into. That's so fun. What is it about CrossFit that you like so much? It's different every time. So I'm really hopeless at going to the gym and doing the same old thing. I do a bit of running, um, not as much as I should, but I'm trying to get a bit better at it. Um, But CrossFit, I guess I've been lucky. Maybe I've got really lovely people there. Such fun. And I love that I'm getting a bit bigger and stronger. Um, And the boys are so proud of me when I'm in there, my boys I'm like, mom, come on, you can do it when I'm doing my deadlifts. And it's just something so different than I've ever done. And actually, it's changed my way of thinking because I think, well, if I can do CrossFit, look at me doing weightlifting, look at me doing all this, I can do anything. And it's kind of opened up my horizons a bit. So, yeah, it's cool. Yeah, I love that. I mean, that's similar to how I feel about running. There's something really empowering about doing something that you never thought that you could do. Yeah, absolutely. Redefined. So you think, if I can do that, what else can I do? Got to have a go. Yeah, absolutely. 
So you are a member of our Patreon support squad, which means that you're one of the people that listeners can thank for making this podcast possible since you've made a small and powerful pledge that helps to fund the costs of producing the show each season. And I would love for you to share why you decided to support the show and what's been your favorite thing so far kind of behind the scenes. Oh, I love the show. So it was kind of no brainer to support it. And um, it's a little bit like if you're walking down the high street in town and there's a busker playing beautiful music, I think you've got to give them a little bit of money to support them. It's um, kind of fair exchange. And the Patreon support is such an easy thing to do. But I'm really glad to be able to do it. Uh, and it's such fun hearing all the little extra bits that you've got online. Um, I'm doing this as well. Who thought I'd ever do this? Amazing. <laughs> so once thinking about it, then yeah, go for it. So fun. Yeah. Recording these outros is, has been like surprisingly one of my, it kind of started on a whim, but it's been one of my favorite things getting to actually talk to you guys is so fun. Yeah. It's amazing. Um, yeah. Such fun. Well, thank you for supporting the show and for being brave and joining us for this little, would you rather session? Oh, it's been an absolute pleasure. And to everyone listening, if you love the podcast, if you want to help keep it going, if you want over 30 hours of bonus content with new stuff added every month, just go to patreon.com slash Nicole Antoinette to make your pledge of $8 or more for each eight episode season. I can't tell you how much your support means to me, and I can't wait to get to know you better behind the scenes in our community. So until next time, here's a big virtual hug and a reminder that we're all just doing the best we can. And no matter what, we're in this together. 